Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This is the Toffee Web Podcast. with the free kick. It's over, everybody. Oh, and that's short from Idrissa Gay. And a chance to race clear for Pascal Gross. It's an impudent finish. It's four for Brighton. It's an absolute disaster for Everton. A gift of a goal. And a very good evening for Brighton. in an already chastening campaign for Everton. Cheers for those who have travelled from the south. Cheers from those who call this their beloved home. There will be plenty of noise from the Everton perspective, but full credit to Brighton, who scored some lovely goals tonight, and plenty of them. The Seagulls continue to climb. The Toffees continue to look firmly over their shoulder. Final score at Goodison Park. Everton won. Brighton 4. Hello, Evertonians. Welcome to the first Tahoe Web podcast of 2023. We're back after an unscheduled Christmas hiatus. Uh, I was traveling the length and breadth of the country, basically, and there wasn't really a spare moment to get us all together virtually to record. But El Breckland and Andy Howard are here with me, and Paul Trail might be hopping on in a bit to discuss the sorry affair that is Everton in season 2022-23. Andy, how are we? Did you have a Christmas, good Christmas and New Year? I did, thank you very much. Personally, anyway, um, it's, uh, you know, if you dis- discount anything Everton, uh, it was a very nice time. Uh, it <laughs> flew by. I think once you get older, Christmas just seems to fly. I cannot believe we're recording this on the 9th of January. I can't believe we're here already. Um but yes, a good time was had by all, unless you dared to uh, engage in anything 
Everton, Everton. Uh, apart from the obvious highlights over the, the, the winter period, which were obviously that good draw at Manchester City. Um, but I think apart from that, um, we're, we're uh, yes, we'll discuss this, but Christmas, thank you, was very nice. <laughs> yes, we will discuss it. There's no escaping it. Um, <laughs> L, L, it was your first Christmas with your little one, so that must have been special, right? Yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, and I uh, I turned thirty two as well on Christmas Day. Oh wow! So, oh, belated happy birthday. <laughs> yeah, I would only be getting a one year contract of Arsenal Wenger now. Um, <laughs> I and I was watching the football league highlights uh, last night, and they they were talking about I think a Bristol Rovers midfielder, and said, and he's thirty two, a veteran now. And I just thought, <laughs> yeah. oh my god, you know, my my dream of playing for Everton has come to an end. But sometimes when you look at the team, I think I could still get a match. To be honest. Uh, yeah, I don't know what that makes me. If if you're a one year contract, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think that makes me kind of uh, play a coach. Yeah. Well, it's okay because at Everton, that's a three year contract. So you know. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, with the possible exception of that game at Manchester City on New Year's Eve, uh, a game I didn't see, ironically enough, because I was on my way up to Edinburgh that day. Uh, it's the first match that I've missed this season, um, but it's been a pretty miserable return from the World Cup break as far as Everton are concerned. Uh, we're in the rele- relegation zone now, following that abysmal performance against Brighton. Uh, haven't won a game since October. The fans are openly calling for revolution at the top, and nine days into the January window, there isn't a sign of any new attacking signings uh, that we'd all hoped would have been lined up for the first day of the window. Uh, Andy, it all looks pretty bleak. Do you see any glimmers of hope, or is this the year we get sucked through the trapdoor into the championship? Uh, well, before Christmas, just before Christmas, before we started playing again, well, and let's just go from Boxing Day. From Boxing Day, I subconsciously and automatically began looking at everybody else's results again, yeah. rather than just our own, and almost switched my thinking from feeling I, I, I'm not as concerned about Everton being good I'm, a, I'm more concerned about others being bad and I think that kind of says all you need to know about where we are and how I feel about it um, in that I, I'm now looking who are the three teams that are going to be worse than us I mean we haven't played half the season yet in terms of league games and already I feel like it's going to be such a long year um, I don't see Really, I, I don't see a magic bullet coming from anywhere that's going to, you know, make this by by the middle of March feel like some kind of weird Christmas dream. Um, it, it, we are going to be knee deep in this, and um, I think, I, I think as a fan base, I, I think we've kind of, if, if we're not already, we've we've kind of almost got to accept that and try and use any energy we've got for the good. And that's going to be really tough because we were here last year and you talk, you hear a lot about, you know, people saying, oh, we haven't got the energy for it again this year. Can the fans do what they did last year? And I, I think, um, I think we're going to have to put it bluntly. Yeah. I mean, if I, it, I mean, just to give it the context that we all know anyway, but we lost against Leicester at home. Leicester started that night in the relegation zone. We lost 4-1 at Bournemouth in the Cup. We lost 3-0 at Bournemouth in the league, who actually won that day to stay out of the relegation zone. We lost 2-1 at home to Wolves, who were bottom. We then had that island, which was Man City, which I still can't explain. 
And then we lost to a very good Brighton team, 4-1. And obviously we lost to United in the Cup. That run is absolutely dreadful. It, it is just... I can't see any glimmer of hope from that. And it needs different players. Um, and it needs, I think, the manager, who I'm sure will come on to, to... Um, to stick to a defensive formation that's going to hit teams on the break. Otherwise, we've not got a chance. And I, and I hate saying that on 9th of January, but it feels it feels a little bit even more ominous than it did last year in, in a strange way, because last year we kind of gradually just kind of fell towards the relegation zone. This year, it feels like we've been in it for far longer and far deeper. Yeah, I'm, I'm just to be honest, I feel like the, the, the last month, I'm just absolutely appalled at the football club. Just how they could see the, the scenes before the game and that support that that football club's got. And to just let it pass us by yet again. You know, I look, you know, going through the, the, the summer and stuff, we've signed Neil Morpay. And we've known that Calvert-Lewin had injury problems all season. And we've played Morpay as a lone striker. There's, there's been no plan whatsoever, no contingency for for what could arise or what's likely to arise. Um, as you mentioned, Andy Lampard, he, he, he stumbled on a magic formula defensively. He's let that go, trying to be, I don't know if he's trying to be too clever, but I don't know what went through his head to change up against Brighton. And I look at it now and it's just, it is, it's just a symptom of the last six years and the years before it. There's just nothing about Everton. They don't, they don't plan ahead. They don't, you know. I just look at it and I think, what, what, where was like the burning desire to be better in in May and June and July and August? Where was that? Where was that feeling of we will never let this happen again? Because I don't mind. What well, when I say I don't mind, I will happily see Everton finish sixteenth in May if I know they've done all they can to try and get first. Just do everything humanly possible. And when I say that, I don't mean try and buy £70 million footballers, but try and be clever and get the best people out there. Try and look at the market. There's a whole world out there. And then what, what's frustrating me this month is the players that were being linked with in France were not involved in the World Cup. So they've been sat in France for two months. Mm-hmm. Could have signed on the dotted line, could have had a medical... Could have been a, could have been an Everton player in early December, and been at the club in the first of Jan. You never know. One of the pacey wingers could have got a goal against Brighton. That gives everybody a lift. All of a sudden, we go to Man United. He's an unknown quantity. We somehow, you know, get a draw there. There's n- there's nobody at the football club trying to basically get a spark. They're just letting it flatline again, and I, I just. It just frustrates me because I think to myself, why are you involved in football if you don't want to win? <laughs> it, it is. I just I just feel so passionately about it because it's just gone on for, for years and years and years, decades now, where there's just this feeling of, I look at Everton, I think, does anybody want to win? Do you have any pride? I don't, I don't see the point of what the club is about. Because they, they go into seasons short. Um, and it is, it's just... I wasn't expecting to sort of go into ramp mode, but you, as you <laughs> said, Andy, those results are just pathetic. They're just pathetic. And I think what really struck me was the Brighton game 
I look back, it was 11 years ago they were playing at an athletics track. They were in the third division. They're leaving us behind because the, like Brighton will not get relegated next year. They've got a plan. They're going to be a Premier League team for a long while. You know, and that's that's what it is. Brentford have got a plan. And the more clubs that come up who've got proper football people, that's where Everton drop and that's where we go in the Championship. And then all of a sudden, it's going to hit us again. Those clubs in the Championship who are properly run, Everton will get the playoffs and then we'll sink further and further in the current guise of the football club. It is just shocking that, you know... As you said, Andy, the two defeats to Bournemouth, it's just an embarrassment. And what really gets to me as well in terms of high standards, we've gone to Man United and the players have been praised for just being better than the Brighton game. Mm. It was another defeat. It was another... We didn't lay a glove on United. We didn't lay a glove on them. Um, So apologies for having a bit of a rant. But it is. It's just... It's just... There's just no fire there. There's just no energy. There's no... There's no hurt. There's there's just nothing there. They just go through the motions, get to May, and then it's just rinse and repeat. And I just I just do not know where we go from here. It's really shocking. I sat there and listened to the team news before that Brighton game, and Brighton had rested however many it was. Like they didn't put Gross in from the start. They didn't have X, Y, and Z in the team. Welbeck wasn't starting. Whatever it was, and I thought, oh, might be able to get at these tonight. This might be different. And it turns out that Brighton's second team adds to Bournemouth's second team, who are easily better than us. Uh, and I know we, we played a change team against Bournemouth, but it seems like these are the clubs who we consider ourselves... Well, Brighton, Brighton are over the hills. I mean, they've gone. But the, the, the clubs around us seem to be able to rest four forward players and score four goals. I mean, if we rested four forward players, I don't think there'd be anybody playing. <laughs> well... Yeah, and one of the the scorers, Brighton scorers, was an eighteen year old kid, right? You know, and our nineteen mm. year old kid can't kids can't even get into the starting eleven. Um, but yeah, it's just amazing, isn't it? Uh, going back to what you were saying, Al, about the um, this sort of this lack of this lack of burning desire, this lack of of urgency. I, you know, I think that at this point comes from the top because. Mm. We don't know if Farhad Mashiri even cares about this project anymore. You know, is is he certainly didn't lack for ambition when he came in. No one has can really fault him for putting his money where his mouth is, and that continues to be the case for the stadium. But at this point, that might just be an exercise in preserving what what assets you know or what value he has in the asset that he bought, because that is his exit now is is getting the stadium done. Um, in keeping the, the value of the club as a whole um, elevated to the point where he can get out of it without, you know, taking taking a massive haircut on it. But you know, an owner who hasn't been to a home game since what is it last October twenty twenty one? Now is that was that the Watford game? I mean, there's no there's no inkling that he actually cares. Um, there's no inkling that that he was the one who's been writing these these letters back to the fans. You know, they could have been penned in house and just he just put his puts his name on it. And that's the the concern for me is that we've had you know plenty of sort of complacency from the Bill Kenwrights of the world. I think you know there's that whole conversation around the chairman. It has come to a point now where I mean people have been saying that he's he's 
he should have been out of the post years ago, and I tend to agree. Um, but then at the same point, at the same time, you know, Bill Kenwright has 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 acted as a, as a foil for Mashiri. And if you believe that Mashiri was about to appoint Vito Pereira, and it was Kenwright and, and Denise Baxendale who sort of pushed hard to keep uh, to keep Frank Lampard as the the main candidate, then. You know, you, you look at it and say, well, they do still have a role to play. But ultimately, we should have professional people involved at the top of the football club, and we don't. There's no sign of that happening. And again, that comes back to the owner and just how much how much appetite, you know, he still has uh, for, you know, making this club what it could be, what he initially bought it for. Because um, at the moment, it just looks like, He's going to get the ground done, the, the ground done, and an exit stage left. Where where Kevin Thalwell and the recruitment are concerned, I think coming out of the summer and coming into this window, where that whole situation is was concerned for me, it was all about context. There was this concerted effort to bring in uh, stronger characters to strengthen both the defence and the midfield, which I think we all felt fairly good about in September after the derby. October after the win over Palace and the draw at Fulham, we thought, you know, we've, we've sorted out two major problems. All we have to do now is either get Calvert-Lewin fit haha, or, you know, or get to January and have signings ready to go from day one. Um, there's been a lot of criticism about the acquisition of Dwight McNeil, but again, I rationalised it in the sense that we basically paid £5 million to have a wide player with Premier League experience for this season. And yes, there'll be additional monies due in the following seasons. But you know, you could almost look at it like a five million pound loan signing just to get essentially another body in the squad to hopefully create goals, um, particularly for Dominic Calvert Lewin. But of course, the decision to get to gamble on Calvert Lewin's fitness, one that backfired under Benitez a year ago, has backfired again. Um, the decision to basically throw away the first five league games of the season without a striker backfired. Um, and honestly, watching McNeil dragging his ass around that pitch. Um, at Brighton, behind the 20 yards behind the play, play and being beaten for pace by the bloody referee um, in a previous game, was it against Wolves? This just co- has completely has me completely rethinking my position on that signing. Um, so whatever whatever positives you took from Thelwell's work over the summer, the fact that we're now nine days into January with no new signings, um, we're into 23, 2023, and we still don't have a head of recruitment. I mean, it really does not paint the director of football in the good light. And it goes back to what you were saying, Al, about there's just lack of a fundamental plan in place to, to move this football club forward. That's my rant. <laughs> if, if, you, if you go from the top, uh, Wolves got scared, changed it, and acted. They got a new yep. manager in before yep. the World Cup. They acted. You know, right or wrong, we don't know yet. Looks pretty good at the moment, but they acted at least. Southampton got scared. They actually sacked quite a good manager, in my view. They acted. Whether it'll turn out, I don't, we don't, you know, in hindsight, we might be able to say these are all terrible decisions, but I doubt it. They acted. Villa didn't like Gerard. Acted. We don't act on anything. Um, we're just kind of going through the motions. Southampton have signed two players since the January transfer window opened. A midfielder they signed today and a forward player, the Croatian lad. Leeds have signed player. Uh, it's the ninth. It's the end of the ninth. It just will be the tenth. Um, is that referee available that beat Mopay for pace? Could we get him in on a on a short term deal? 
<laughs> we haven't asked. I don't know. It just feels like we're. It just feels like we're just. I know the the old cliche is sleepwalking, but like, what do we expect to happen if we don't act? I mean, if I know we'll talk maybe about a, a timescale on Lampard later, but you know, that this writing has been kind of going on the wall for a bit, hasn't it? I mean, this is not a new thing that we're underperforming. Um, I wonder whether the, the Lampard timescale could have been acted on as well. I know we're going to come to that later, but um, it just feels like we are we are just not acting on anything. And whether that comes from the fact that Mashiri isn't actually interested in the project and isn't leading from the top, well, you need people in the football club to start doing it then, really. Um, and I don't know who that is. Well, as you said, Andy, I think all the other clubs act and Everton react too late is often the, the case. I mean, and that's that's another point that last year we got Lampard in on like a day before the transfer window closing. So either he's having to give a list to someone and the deals are being done in about 12 hours or you're giving him a list and he might be, you know, that short amount of time, he might just have to say yes to players that he doesn't want to play. But, but we're in that situation again that you're either leaving it that long and a new, a new manager is going to have, what, less than about 20 days if it was to happen tomorrow. Or you need to be you need to come out and say, we're keeping Lampard and you need to bring in players in on the first. It, 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 it's got, it can't be one, it's got to be that way. There's no other way to do it. If, if you've got those horrendous results in, in sort of December, like before the World Cup as well. You know, this isn't a new thing that we were winning every game before the World Cup and, oh, this is such a shock. And the, the thing for me which frustrated me about, because I, I do like Lampard and I've backed him and I've thought there's some good things he's, he does. The team had a break for six weeks. I go into the Gladys Street, absolutely ecstatic to be there. <laughs> Obviously forgetting that I've got to watch Everton play football. And <laughs> they take the kickoff. They've had six weeks to plan. It moves slowly back to Anana. It moves slowly back to Yerimina. It moves to Pickford. And the opposition, in the end, get the ball. And it was it just, you could feel Goodison just flat. Just flat in an instant. They could have used all that break. If it was me, I would have said, right, get the ball. Play it down the wing. And as soon as that left back or right back gets the ball... Crunch and tackle would have got Goodison up mm. because I know what Evertonians like, but so does Lampard. He has said it. He has proved that he knows what we like. So why on earth are they not doing it? it it's just it is it's just so frustrating to see because it isn't rocket science. We're we're not we're not expecting the football club to to be to be Brazil seventy overnight. But there are some fundamentals that they could have done to help themselves. Just little things like that, a kickoff. And it's, I, I feel like at Goodison, particularly because of how the crowd responds and that relationship with the players, five minutes into a game at Goodison, you either know we're going to lose or you can feel it in the air that it's going to be a win. And I think it's quite unique in that sense. And that was just so disappointing that, you know, we're trying to get points on the board. Lampard's trying to get his message across to the players. They had all that time, and they're only, I think, four or five players at the World Cup. They've been to Australia together. The, the, there's been such an opportunity on the training pitch to really drill home 
a style of play and a way to play. And you know, after those after those disappointing results before the World Cup, it could have been, look, lads, we stayed up, and the fans responded to how we battled. And it could have been, look, long term, I want to play nice, attractive football. But from now until May, we're going to run fast. We're going to run hard. We're going to tackle anything that moves. We're going to get crosses in the box, and we're going to get this crowd behind us again because they are the 12th man. And instead, it's just tailed off again to the point where, you know, there are, there's going to be protests. And it's just such a shame because there's just so much potential. Um, You know, Everton is a rare fan base that other teams that are struggling, battling against relegation, do not get that many people turning up two hours before kickoff. They've got something that they can really boost the club and really go on a journey together. And I just feel like it's not been utilised and it's just such a shame to see it all go to waste. And, you know, it could get far worse for us. Yeah, okay. The thing that struck me so much about the Brighton game was how how they just, they, they knew everything they needed before they came in. You know, that they needed to just weather the first 10 minutes. And then once they, once we'd sort of, burnt ourselves out that initial fire that always seems to happen that first 10 15 minutes and then they just seized control and it was just amazing how how easy it was for them you know it was it was one of the most pathetic performances i've ever seen um from an everton team or any team basically um the, the sort that that sort of passing football it takes time it takes a long time to um you know, to embed, which is why if, you know, if, if Graham Potter suddenly becomes available from Chelsea, you know, that looking at someone like him to, to, to save our season is probably not going to be very wise because it takes, it takes time to bed those things, those, those things in. And it just seems like Lampard is, is keeps coming back to this, this idea that this team can play passing football and it can't. And it's, it's now been shown up, you know, quite a few times at, at Goodison in particular, um, as just being wholly ill-equipped to, to play passing football, to get past the halfway line. And we saw it against Wolves, you know, those final few moments when the crowd was just at the end of its tether <laughs> with the fact that the team just didn't didn't seem to have an idea of moving the ball forward. And you look at other teams and there's movement, you know, there's this players showing for the ball and we've got just players standing around and, and with no, offering no, nowhere, to, uh, nowhere to pass for a teammate. And then you wonder why we get picked off in the way that we did, particularly against Brighton. Um, so yeah, I agree with you, you El, that, that by at this point you know what Evertonians want. They want up tempo. They want fight. They want you know get the ball direct if if the the short passes aren't working, and get, yeah, give the give the crowd something to to latch onto in terms of effort, in terms of a you know as you say a crunching tackle, um, and. Having seen what what worked against City, because I mean the game plan worked almost to perfection. You know we soaked everything up. We had one shot on target, went in, and we got a point, a point that none of us expected to get. Um, you know it was a bonus point, uh, and you could look at it as grabbing back that point that we threw away in, in stoppage time against Wolves. So we had a point in that game and threw it away, and then to to revert back to you know the four three three, which at one point I think we were all calling for because we were getting overrun in midfield and now I think we realize that that we need this this 5-3-2 we need this this defensive solidity and we need to try and hit teams on the break and that's hard to do at home but you need to find a way of doing it 
need to find a way of, of, te- of, of bringing teams out and hitting them on the break, which is really the only way until we get more signings in, uh, how this thing's going to work, how, how it's going to be successful. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's my concern now is that we still have this naivete from Lampard um, that, that if he doesn't change it, and he doesn't change it very soon, <clears throat> then I think things are just going to continue to get worse. I think we need to play five five two the way we're playing. <laughs> I mean, I, I, is it all Lampard's fault? No, but would you pick him for this particular challenge? No, um, it's it's how I see it. I mean, it might be it might sound a really daft thing to say uh, because he's paid to try and win football matches, but I think he tries to. I think he tries too much to win. Um. It, and that makes sound, makes sounds a bit stupid, but mm. you know, as El said, we are not Brazil 1970. Um, in fact, in, we're we're in the lower part of the league for quality, I would say. So you've got to almost reverse that, I think, and 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 try not to lose um, rather than. I mean, the, the the Brighton thing again. We we saw it last season. It started well for him, didn't it? When he first came in, I think there was that bounce and we beat Leeds, I remember, and we beat Brentford in the cup. And it all seemed like, oh, wow, we can play play with the ball and enjoy it or whatever he said in that training session, enjoy the ball and whatever else. But um, we clearly haven't got the quality to maintain that consistently. Um, And to me, just he still tries to, I suppose it's fair enough, but he still tries to, to go out there and do whatever he can to win that football match. And the Premier League is so competitive and teams like Brighton are so switched on and savvy that they can see what's happening um, from from the very first whistle. And and, and on that note, I mean, I, I, I like the way Brighton play. Um, can you imagine if Everton had lost Potter? I mean, we'd still be running around now in, in the corridors going, oh, my word, we haven't got a manager. Oh, no. I mean, Brighton clearly, they clearly yeah. had a, at least a long list, probably a short yeah. list. If we yeah. lose this guy, we're going to go and get him. Yeah. You know, and look look at them now. Yeah. Um, I cannot imagine what would happen if, if we lost someone who we wanted to keep hold. Well, we did. We lost Ancelotti, didn't we? And look what happened there. Um, you know, there, there are... There is just no planning. And as you say, Andy, that the people on Brighton's list, they will all have a very similar style, a very similar mm-hmm. philosophy. When Everton have like a three-man candidate list, they're all polar opposites. They're all completely polar opposites. And rather than saying, we want you because you have what we want, we just say, oh, you're available. What can you do? Oh, yeah, we'll have a bit of that. And so that's why the why we have like a Frankenstein squad, because we we've just got different elements of different managers, and obviously each summer a bit more of the deadwood's been chipped away. And I think, really, in terms of the deadwood that was just sitting on the bench, you know, I think that was cut away. But you, as the, as the season goes on, you sort of get a new element of it almost, where there are players that are surplus to requirements. Um, but it is it's just that. It's that consistency that we're lacking, but it's when I watch other matches on the TV, I can watch the most basic move, but it stalls me because I don't see Everton just, you know, like just passing the ball and like a left back playing it into a centre mid and the centre mid playing it to the left winger and the left back running beyond. Like that blows my mind. And I think, the I think basic I, I gave, triangles. 
yeah. And I think for the Damari Gray goal, I gave huge praise to Mikalenko for the running mate. Yeah. Now, that was a great run. But as people pointed out, that's what he should be doing. That's mm. what good players do in the modern game. But we see it so rarely that it's just mind-blowing. I think the... Um, was it the Crystal Palace game where we scored three really, really good goals? I look back at that now and I think, is it a consistency thing for Everton? Where Palace just really that bad? It, 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 it's There's just... Everton aren't able to repeat things for some reason. It just seems that everything they do game to game is just a bit sporadic and, yeah, it doesn't really function properly. Um so it is, it's just alarming, you know, obviously this weekend, if, if you've watched any football, you've seen teams from like the Premier League up to the 5th Division, and honestly, some of the sides, and like, you know, Stevenage at Aston Villa, mm-hmm. some of the moves, brilliant, and as you said, Andy, uh, and, and yourself, Lyndon, the Wolves game, you're trying to get a goal, and there's no movement, but these are Premier League players who have shown quality for Everton in the past, and they've shown quality for the clubs we signed them from. You know, we haven't just we haven't just you know signed eleven players from League One. They, these are meant to be. They've got qualities. They've they've either scored goals in the Premier League or they've you know got assists or they've done important things for their clubs. You know, on paper it is an average team, but it's but it's a Premier League squad, and and that's where the argument comes in. Some Blues will say, yeah, the quality is quite low, but Lampard still should be getting more from this team. Um, and I think that's where it comes into it. Me personally, I think that Damari Gray needs to play through the middle. I think if Calvert-Lewin's fit and you play Damari Gray as a second striker, I think that can really work. I think Lampard now is at the point. Obviously, you've got to pick up points, but he really needs to assess the team and think, right, how can I get the best out of the most amount of players? And I think that's where the five-three-two comes into it. And then you really just need to manage it. But again, it's it's Nathan Patterson, the the poor lad. <laughs> His injury actually happened in front of me in the Gladys Street. He's not mm. been helped by McNeil all game. Later on, that's obviously you know that's a big burden to take when when you've got fans on your back and you're trying to basically do the job of two people. And it was I think it was on about the hour mark. He's gone to make a tackle and he's completely missed it. And fair play to him, he's gone back in, made the tackle. And in the gusto of going in the tackle, he's 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 injured himself, mm. and it's it's just all a symptom that Everton's woes get worse <laughs> because the, because because of just the the mess that they're in at the minute. Yeah, I suppose the one irony is we did actually put a move together at United, and it was um it was offside oh. by a toe now. Yeah, like credit where it's due. That was a brilliant move. It was, and it, it was. There was pace. There was energy. There was ingenuity. There was a real desire to get up the pitch, and and that's the thing, you know. Evertonians probably feel like we're all just a bunch of moaners at the minute, and that everything's negative. But then they'll do something like that, and they get the credit they deserve, you know. That yeah, it was such a good move, and that that was such a shame that it was ruled out because that was that was one of the best pieces of play I've seen from Everton all season. Yeah. It shows the talents there, but it shows the, it shows just how much confidence play comes into it, you know. Um, but it also that was a move that happened quickly, you know. The tempo was quick, it, and it, particularly in the Premier League, that's how you get 
opposition defenses off guard is moving the ball quickly and doing things that they don't expect. Um, you know, passing it backwards and forwards through the center, across the center circle is not gonna not gonna surprise anyone. You're listening to the Toffee Web Podcast. Let's uh, let's cut to the chase and get. We normally do a uh, a weekly question, and I'm going to ask this week's um, now, given how topical it is. Simply, should Lampard have lost his job already? And if not, is there a tipping point for you? And when would that be? <laughs> Whoever wants to take a stab at it first, <laughs> have at it. <laughs> well, for me, there's there are certain points here. Again, we were talking about clubs acting, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Everton could have acted after Bournemouth. They could have seen a downward, a, a downward trajectory we've got a six-week break we've got an opportunity therefore to probably find a bit of paper to make a list then act on that list and then get someone in who can start working with the team if it wasn't going to be then it's a huge leap of faith but it wasn't going to be then okay we're going to give obviously that uh, that they didn't see deem it fit to, to act then so we're going to give Lampard x amount of games which you think would be the decision, in which case they could have acted after Brighton because of the manner of that and the fact that what had just gone before it, the Wolves, you know. If you're not going to act at either of those points, I don't think you can sack him. Mm. Because if you do it, well, they're not going to do it now, are they? They're not going to do it like in the days leading up to the Southampton game because that makes no sense whatsoever. So if we lose at home to Southampton, do you then... Is that the last chance saloon that they've got to get rid of him, giving somebody else a bit of time, A, transfer-wise, and B, to get a team together? We've got Southampton home, West Ham away. I mean, for me, hindsight's a wonderful thing. I think it would have been cleaner, kinder, and ultimately a bit more business-like if they just said, look, we can see where this is going after the Bournemouth game. We don't like it. We're going to actually get on the front foot and we're going to remove Lampard at this point and we're going to give someone else a six-week break to, to work with the team. If it, And personally, I maybe didn't feel like that at the time. So I would say at the moment, you've got to keep him in the job because it's getting too close to the end of January again. So, you know... Um, I don't know. That doesn't answer anything, does it? um... (laughs) I think what makes it really difficult is that it's the month of the transfer window. I I think that's just where it... Any other time, you'd say, you you know, you'd be able to make your decision much much more easier, I think. But with that transfer window, as I said before, it was either you keep him and then you back him on the 1st of Jan. You can't... You know, as you you mentioned, Andy, the, the longer this month goes on now... You you can't do it, and I think I think what could also come into play is is how how the protests go as well with with the board. That could either keep somebody in the job, or it could make them pull the trigger more more quickly. If that makes sense, so that there's that element of it as well. That there's there's not just the looking at Frank Lampard. There's looking at the fan mood and the the unrest because there will be many Evertonians who have an opinion on Lampard 
but there's many Evertonians who will have an opinion on the board who will think that Lampard's struggles are a symptom of the board. But then, on the flip side, you look at it and think, well, Lampard's struggles are a, <laughs> are a symptom of him changing formations when he shouldn't. So that it, there's so many variables, I think, where it's just... Put it this way, I wouldn't like to make the decision now because it, I think it's just... Yeah. It can go badly wrong one way or the other. And I think, to be fair, I think, like I say, because it is the transfer window and because of what happened last season, this was basically... I think I said it in on one of the pods actually in November that the Leicester game and the two Bournemouth games before the World Cup were season defining. And the manner in which we lost is horrible to think if if that defines our season. But it felt like if we could have got good results in those games and got through in the League Cup, you come back and everything's much more rosy. And although we may have lost to Wolves and we may have lost to Brighton, there's just a few more things to look forward to. Whereas now... We're out both cups, yet you've got Connor Cody saying after the game, it starts now. What whatever that means. Uh, mm-hmm. so it, yeah. it, it it's just it's just so like higgledy piggledy, isn't it? It's just it's just an awful time to to make that to make that decision either way. Because you can keep Lampard, sign you know, Everton could go out and sign five players for him this month. And he could be sacked in the first week of February if he doesn't get the right results. Um, so they are, you know, I know the board gets lots of criticism, especially now. But to, to hit that rocky patch at this stage of the season is terrible. It, you know, and it, it could really, really cost us. Just for the record, I do actually like Frank Lampard and I want him yeah. to do well. Me too. You know, I, I just thought I'd say that because I, I, yeah. I like the guy. I think he's done an awful lot of good in some ways. Um. But we we do need to win some football matches at some point. It's quite simplistic, but I genuinely believe if he sticks to that formation and then the Evertonians can see that he's putting a formation in place that he believes will get results, I think that could be massive for him. But it but it's whether he will stick to that formation. Because if, if, if he plays that formation against Southampton and, and we will happen to lose... My blame then doesn't go on to Lampard. Whereas if he goes to four three three and we lose, just human nature, I'll think you changed it. That's your fault, even if it's not that simplistic. Whereas, and I think a lot of Everton managers have done that. They've not helped themselves. There's been a few narratives, and they could do one thing to help themselves, and they don't, and it goes really against them. Um, so I think if Lampard can sort of get the fans on side by by saying, "Look, I I see what's working here. That's what I'm going to go with." I think he'll have, you know, 100% support. But it's when he makes those changes that people start to doubt him. And then, you know, the the, the people who are against him, that number grows then. And then that's where you get to the point where another bad display and it's just that he will be sacked. Yeah. It's an incredibly hard decision, isn't it? As you said, I wouldn't want to be making it. You know, because no. on the one hand, you know, you've brought this, this guy in and you want to back him because it's a it's a choice that you've made as a as a board as a collective we assume um you know so you don't you want to show faith um <laughs> and there's also you there's, there's also the history with someone like marco silva who i think hindsight having perfect vision <clears throat> probably could have had more time um you look at Mikel arteta at arsenal who was given the time 
Um, obviously, totally different circumstances, Des, because he's got the uh, he's got the recruitment, he's got the money. Um, they spent an awful lot <clears throat> to build a team that that he's now got, you know, at the top of the table. But you know, with with things like Marco Silva, it was all about the context of the time of where we wanted to be. You know, back then we wanted to be the Champions League team, and we clearly were not going to be a Champions League under the way the team under the way that we were playing under Marco Silva. Marco Silva coming in now would make a lot more sense. Um, I don't get the same. I wouldn't have the same confidence about Lampard as I would about you know, someone like Marco Silva because I think Marco Silva had a more of an idea of the way that um, he wanted to play, or at least was a bit more pragmatic about what would work and what wouldn't with the personnel that he had at his, at his disposal. Um, so for me, for me, the the only rationale for keeping Lampard. At the moment, if you assume that things aren't going to get better, is is just the hierarchy is an erratic track record when it comes to hiring managers. Um, on the one hand, the other the other part of it is just the lack of viable candidates out there. Obviously, there are candidates that we could, you know, if we could click our fingers and have someone like Thomas Tuchel or, or um, you know <laughs> Pochettino come in, uh, then I think we'd grab it with both hands. And you know, Mashiri um, has pulled Ancelotti's the Ancelotti rabbit out of the hat before. I don't see that happening again, uh, nor do I think we have the finances to even afford someone like that anymore. Um, <clears throat> but the thing about Lampard is we don't, we still don't actually know how good a manager he is because he hasn't got a full tool set um, to be working with. You know, he doesn't have um, a full attack um, in terms of chance creation or goal scoring. Um and then there's obviously again when I go back to the to the to the, to the way that we started the season, um, essentially just bypassing five games because we didn't have a you know a striker lined up, and then we signed um, one who is arguably least um, suited to the way that Everton play or Everton should be playing right now in Neil Mope. Um, but he, even with all of that said. There, his record is this season is atrocious. I mean, we we have three wins all season, four if you count the League Cup win at Fleetwood, and it just isn't good enough. I mean, it's relegation form that was more than enough to lose Rafael Benitez his job, um, and I wouldn't have been surprised if Lampard had been sacked after last Tuesday. Um, oh, I thought he'd gone. I thought he'd gone. Well, I did too, and I just thought that. Uh, you know, it, it's more the, the it's the crowd's reaction. You say when once you've lost the crowd, then you, you know you, you really there's no coming back. Um, but I'm also not surprised he's still there because Mashiri doesn't doesn't tend to act quickly in these circumstances. We saw it last year um, that it took us going to Norwich and losing before Benitez got the bullet, and then it was two weeks before Lampard came in. Um, and so those are that's my big concern is that okay we fire you know we sack him. At this point, he's definitely going to get Southampton. I mean, I think we have to we agree, you know, we mm. assume that he gets a Southampton game. But if he loses that, we sack him. But does anyone think that there is that there's a plan in place to replace him? That there there'll be a candidate lined up with the with the efficiency with which, say, Aston Villa replaced um, Steven Gerrard with uh, with Unai Emery? I mean, I don't think so. Um, and if there is, it sh that should fall to Kevin Thelma. And the argument over players that we sign between now and the end of the window, if the director of football model is working the way that it should do, then it shouldn't matter whether Lampard's there or not. You know, it's whoever the manager is will we'll work with the players that the director of football has identified as being the right candidates for the team. 
um, given the the muddiness around the process at Everton, we have no idea whether that's actually the model that's in place. Um, and I don't think Thelwell's well been there long enough. Um, so um, I don't know. I haven't really answered my own question because I don't know the answer. Should should he have lost his job already? Probably. But it's again, it comes down to that thorny issue of who you replace him with. Um, and do we look back on it and go, well, that was the right or wrong decision? I think another point to make, though, as well is the first five games where it took Everton, I think, seven league games to win, and we scored four goals in those first six games. Everton were digging in and only lost by a single goal or drew. Now, if you right. think, if we had signed a striker, could those few points we picked up have actually been, in fact, six or seven? And could that have built momentum for Lampard to have more points now? So it, it's, it's almost like we we were digging in at the start and then it's almost like the defence is like a dam and it can only hold back so much water and then it just folds. Whereas if we'd have actually got ahead in those games, would that have just changed the dynamic and the feel of the place? Um, because it just feels like we fell back into last season. So again, I think for me, it's, it's that... I think the last six years, it's... It's been the recruitment that has hindered the managers massively. If you look at um, Ronald Koeman's second season, he lost Lukaku. We didn't replace him. He completely lost his head and played Calvert-Lewin at right wing back. <laughs> uh, Marco Silva, yeah. we, we lost Kurt Zuma, who we'd had on loan. We didn't sign adequate centre-back cover. It, 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 it unravelled. And I, I think that's a bit of a theme that we're not... We're always like missing a piece of the jigsaw, aren't we? Of how how the manager wants to set up his team, particularly in like the second season, and then it just it just unravels. I think, um, and I think because Lampard came in halfway through the season, that time for him has sped up even quicker. So he he's not even been able to have a, a full team. And you look at it, you know, I know McNeil's had his critics, but you know one of his. You know, apparent strong suit is is getting the ball in the box, and we've not been doing that. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't think the signings have been. They've got. I think they've got worse if, as the time's gone on, but I think that's because there's a massive part of their play that's missing in their game. In terms, of, you know, I think Neil Morpay, we're, we're just booting the ball up to him, and you know, I think. Sometimes he looks a bit disinterested, but I don't think it is that. I think it's a lack of confidence because yeah. I think he does feel a bit lost. And I'd say that's the same for McNeil. If you know, you, you, for new signings especially, you need to try and give them like the most perfect environment possible, don't you? And it just feels like we've said, "Oh, you know, welcome to the club. Oh yeah, just get on with it." You know, and obviously yeah. that's up to Lampard to manage that. You know, he's a manager; he has to manage that situation. If Calvert Lewin's out, Calvert Lewin's out. You've got to come up with, with other ways around it. But um, I do it. It's almost like the, you know, like the chicken and the egg arguments of what needs to support each other first. Do the players need to come out and play really good football, or the the supporters need to sing for ten minutes? It's almost like that with the recruitment and the management as well. That you know the recruitment's poor, but then the management could be better as well. And it 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 just back and forth all the time, and until it until it. You know, becomes too late. Really, I'm going to try and answer it. 
should he have lost his job by now? I think you could argue a strong argument for yes. Mm-hmm. But where the, but the tipping point for me has now gone. So so the tipping point is in the past for me now. So if he was going to lose his job, he should have lost it by now. And you can make a very good argument as to why. If he hasn't got sacked by this point, I say you give him Southampton. And I say you even give him more after that. Um, just because I don't see the point then in changing. We may, we, we may well have a panic at the beginning of April and get... And, and, and sack him and, and try and get a bounce of three games where he might do something, maybe. But I think the tipping point for sacking him is gone. But going back to the point of who else is out there, well, Brighton managed to find a good manager. Wolves managed to find quite a competent manager. Villa managed to find a quite, quite a good manager. These are all teams we'd expect to be in and around or above. Um, don't know about Southampton yet. They've taken a bit of a punt there. But if, if, if Villa can find Unai Emery... Surely Everton can. I mean, well, he's he's gone now, and so has Deserby, well, and so has you know those. That's three names that, that. But I doubt we would have gone for them anyway. And that's but the problem. Then, but all I'm saying is, is, is if if those clubs can attract um, competent managers to the Premier League, yes, then exactly. they are right. They are right there. Yeah, there, there, there are managers in Italy doing well. There are managers in Spain doing well. I mean, whoever you want to go. Surely Everton can attract a half decent manager who knows how best to get the best, you know, the best out of those players. Surely. It's almost like Everton don't cast their net wide enough. And I know this is only the bookies, but you know when the odds come in for new managers, Duncan Ferguson, Wayne Rooney are up there. Hmm. You, you don't see, you know, Steve Bull being tipped for the Wolves <laughs> job. You know, you, you, you don't, you don't. Steve you know, Bull. Yeah, you, you just. You don't get Gareth Barry being linked to the Aston Villa job, do you? It's just no. There seems to be. I don't know. It's I've never seen. You know, we do. We get linked with just the people who've got an affiliation with us. Glenn Murray oh. in at um, in a yeah. Brighton. Yeah. You know, and I've I've noticed that what the the amount of managers that we've gone to gone through, and the list is just all always so uninspiring. Yeah. You look at it and you think, who could we get? Yeah, and I think that some of that comes comes back to the the media narrative that when when these things happen, it's always so and so has admirers in the Everton boardroom, and that's kind of a you know a shortcut for saying Bill Kenwright is quite fancies the sentimental you know idea of either Duncan Ferguson, Wayne Rooney, or bringing Roberto Martinez or David Moyes back because you know where that's that's where that comes from, and so I think that influences the bookies is that they they automatically. Yeah. Think that that's what's going to be on uh, on, on Bill's shortlist, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's. Uh... I was pleased to see Roberto Martinez go to Portugal. Um, I was pleased yes. to see that because I thought I can, I can just, I can already foresee uh, some kind of strange February signing there that uh, <laughs> really makes little sense. Um, so that's one gone at least. Um, Moyes is probably in the same position as Lampard, I'd imagine, at West Ham. So that might be interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. What, what, do, what do you say about the tipping point having been gone? I think if we lose to Southampton and particularly if we lose at West Ham, I think the groundswell from the supporters would be would be almost impossible to ignore at that point. But yeah, and well, that's we'll find ourselves back. Yeah, say if Southampton's a horror show. I think the feeling in the ground in the last game, and obviously the the social media narrative and the push for the the board will 
Mm. I, I think Lampard will from from the fans in the stadium on the night. I think Lampard will get less stick than the board, but then the board's answer to the critics is to sack Lampard, isn't it? So it's almost like a lose-lose situation for Lampard, and even if he wins, if he wins, that that helps the board. So Lampard's stuck in the middle, really. Yeah. <laughs> Have you enjoyed the last fifty-three minutes? <laughs> <laughs> Another cheery uh, podcast for the Toffee Web crew. Uh, it's good for you, though, isn't it? It's good for you. Yeah. It is well, good. It is a bit like therapy because I came on tonight quite chill. And my first response was a bit of a rant where I didn't even realise I was doing it. I was just getting it all out there. Just getting it all out. You two are probably thinking, is he going to stop talking soon? But, yeah, it is. It's cathartic. Uh, yeah. I've never mentioned Brighton, Wolves, Southampton and Villa as much in my life. I just kept going back to those and banging my pencil on my paper. Oh. And yet, bad for them to be our... Uh... Our peers again next season, if just if it means that we stay up. Mm. Sad, sad. All right, well, it's probably enough catharsis for one week. <laughs> um, depending on what happens this week, if there's any major news, we may be back later this week. Uh, but otherwise, it will be next week after the Southampton game, and uh, whatever weird, strange uh, conundrums we'll be facing in terms of managers and players at that point. Um, but until then, Blues, uh, take care and uh, yeah, make sure that you uh, go and check out uh, Elle's lengthy piece on the site right now about the board and the uh, and that's all connected, of course, to the, the protest that's planned uh, after the Southampton game. And that will, of course, go ahead regardless of the result. Uh, but until then, Blues, take care and uh, we'll catch up with you very soon. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.